If you are sick of oppressive religious systems, but are not willing to let go of faith altogether, this podcast is for you. In this show, we hear from inspirational people tackling real issues of faith that actually matter in this world. Welcome to Jesus Never Ran. The church is wrong to argue that the Bible justifies any sort of discrimination, oppression, marginalization of those who are not straight. Well, the reason why you ain't got no black folks in your congregation is because we don't show up to places where we're not welcome, and we know we're not welcome based off the conversations you demand that we don't have because of the questions you insist on us not asking because of the answers you don't want to live. And the idea that the best being in the universe can't come up with a better solution to the problems of the universe than to torture people forever, eternally, you just start thinking, if that's as good as God is, this is a pretty depressing universe. Hey everyone, great to be with you on this wonderful day. Today we continue our conversation about faith and the Bible by talking to Father Scott Jenkins of Celtic Way. Now, the sad part for me is that What happens in Genesis is people focus on the whole story of the snake and Eve and Adam and the apple and the fall. And like as if the fall was the end, right? And now we're totally helpless and without a clue. Hey everyone, before we jump into the interview, just a couple of quick words about our sponsors, Rise Nutrition from Menominee. You can find out all about what they have going on by going to Facebook and looking up Rise Menominee, and that's Rise with a Z. A couple of things they have going on in August is some special flavors, including a flaming tea blast, and wait for it, a lemon poppy seed shake. That sounds incredible. Again, you can find them at Rise Menominee on Facebook or give Angie a call at 715-309-2706. And then our friends over at Infinity Beverages, don't forget that Thursday is buy one, get one for club members. And if you want more information on how to sign up or if you want to order online, go to infinitybeverages.com. Well, Scott Jenkins is the founder and director of Celtic Way, which the best way to describe it is it's an ancient way to look at faith and the Bible. I don't want to give too much away because he explains it throughout the interview. And Father Scott had so many great things to say that we need to jump right into this interview. So this is Scott Jenkins. My name is Scott Jenkins. I've been married to my wife, Chris, for 33 years. Between us, we have four daughters. We're up to 18 grandchildren right now and two great-grandchildren. So life is full, shall I say that? And uh, I always tease when my daughters are not around that the only Bible verse they ever memorized in their whole life was, go forth and multiply. And so they did that. They carried out the first commandment. That's the biggest part of my life. I'm a retired clergy person. I served the Church of Holy Family, which we started in Aurora, Colorado for 20 years. I went to college as a biblical literature major at uh, Point Loma College. It was called then. It's Point Loma Nazarene University today. It had two private beaches. uh, So being a young man from Iowa and having a private Christian college on two private beaches was good enough clue for me that God 
wanted me to go there. But I fell in love with the scriptures during those years at Point Loma College. I went to graduate school at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California and continued my scriptural studies there. And I've actually been a student of the scriptures ever since then. So I hate to tell you how many years that is, but it's probably around 45. (laughs) It's a long time. But they've been such a big part of my journey and such a huge part of my inspirational journey. And I've gone through a number of evolutions. I was a hardcore fundamentalist uh, at an evangelical college that really helped me grow in my understanding of the historical background of the scriptures, which helped me come out of that whole fundamentalist thing. But you know, I look back on the stages of my Christian formation, and that fundamentalist thing that I learned in a Methodist church in in Iowa, when you come out of a drug culture, having everything down black and white, laying a foundation, stabilizing, which I needed, uh, was a very important step in my journey. And then coming to the evangelical holiness tradition, where a high view of scripture and inspiration and authority was still present, seemed like the next step for me. And particularly in New Testament studies, grounding me in the Greek scriptures that we learned to translate and everything there. I just took that right into graduate school with me. Most of my graduate education was at the Franciscan school because they had the best Bible teachers and they approached the scripture so differently than any place I'd ever been, but it was appealing to me. Um, I still have this quote in my Bible today from that. I, I write it every time I change Bibles. The stories of the Bible were prayerfully created for the purpose of community rather than as historical narratives as we would understand historical in the 21st century. So I, I continue to be inspired by that and live out of that. And after I retired from being a pastor, some friends of mine and my wife and I started this nonprofit called Celtic Way because I had heard some really grounded Christian Celtic speakers talk about the movement of God in the British Isles early, second, third, fourth, fifth centuries, and what they were doing and what God was up to in the monastic communities that were anchored with contemplative prayer and reading the Bible and social justice, so taking care of the poor. And I thought those three things are really what I want to spend the rest of my days focusing on is scriptures, prayer, and social justice. So that was kind of the impetus for me in Celtic way. And when the Celts added to that what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that all creation reveals God, right? So I was like, this is the best because I love being outdoors. We live in Colorado and I love the scriptures. And when these two books, like the book of nature and the book of scriptures, are read well, they're like stereo. They're like your headphones you have on. They say the same thing. They're in concert with one another. And I love that. I go for a walk every morning and I head outside and it's just an experiential wonderland that I live in. I love everything that Scott just said there, because for me, my faith really started when I was engaging with nature. That was probably the space that I remember being in when I really decided, hey, there's no way I can experience all of this and there not being a God. That didn't make sense to my mind at 
all. So I think you're really going to love this interview because of that element that Scott brings to the picture. Now, before we get too far into this, I really like everybody to get a little bit of backstory because likely you've never met Scott before. And so it's important that we know where he's coming from so that when he describes different things of the ways that he believes that we have an understanding of where some of that was rooted in. My young adult faith journey did begin with an altar call. And when I went to uh, pray at the altar, a some people that I had um, sold drugs to in the past, they came and knelt beside me and laid hands on me and prayed for me that time. So it was really quite a turning point in my life. Uh, probably saved my life, to be honest with you. And uh, I had a house. I invited some of the guys from the church to move in. We had a kind of a men's house and across the street we had a women's house. And, once a week, we used to have Bible study and prayer together, and that was the laying of the foundation, the grounding. So we would read a passage of scripture, and then we would pray, and then we would just share. And it was that simple, and it was that powerful for all of us. We are discussing the Bible on the Jesus Never Ran podcast for a number of reasons, but one of the main reasons is I think a lot of us grew up under or have had faith experiences under a theology or a belief system that is very oppressive regarding the Bible. Scott takes a very different view because the way he lives his life is so holistic, so the way that he views the Bible is the same. It's really important to me not just to hold on to the scriptures for the sake of holding on to the scriptures, but to have some honest, transparent, and, and a relationship with this book with great integrity. So I don't look at things like science or psychology as opposed to what the scripture teaches. I think we have to listen to those voices today, and we have to judge them well. I mean, my God, for a long time, the church thought the Earth, our planet, was the center of the universe. And that was the science that the church upheld, sadly, for a long time, when other voices were trying to say, uh, maybe not. And if it's not, it doesn't mean the whole thing collapses, right? Truth is truth. If it's true in one place, I think it's true all the time. And so we don't have anything to be afraid of. And what I like about what's going on in the 21st century today that has actually, as I look back over my life, has been this sort of ongoing dialogue about how do we make this real, this, this long story of the Bible, into an ever-changing world where science is knowing more and more all the time. And I just look at scientific discovery today as partners of what the scripture has been trying to tell us. This is our fourth week talking about the Bible, and we're going to end with one more episode next week where you just get to hear me ramble on. But the danger of doing so many weeks on one specific topic is it can start to sound a little bit redundant. And so we have the ability during this little mini series that we're doing to dig in a little deeper than we would if we were just addressing this issue on a single podcast. So I asked Father Scott to share with us what his first big hurdle was in regards to the Bible. Okay, you ready? Because here we go. My first big hurdle was 
just overcoming the whole creation story about literally seriously i mean you may laugh at this but six days i was taught and my first church that i grew up in sort of spiritually was that this is six 24-hour days and there were times i would defend that you know this is what it says you know and over time people began to say to me and and this really stuck with me you know it's not fair to ask 20th or 21st century scientific questions to something that may have been written a couple thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. Because the concerns of those writers were not the 20th century or 21st century scientific concerns. They weren't really concerned with how was this possible? How did this become? How was it created? I think they were more, and this is what I believe today, they were more concerned with who created it and why. So the great Genesis creation stories, both of them, will tie us into a relationship with God from the beginning. When God said, let us make mankind, humanity, in our own image, doing that and then saying the only time in the creation stories is that this wasn't just good. This was very, very good. Now, the sad part for me is that what happens in Genesis is people focus on the whole story of the snake and Eve and Adam and the apple and the fall. And like as if the fall was the end, right? And now we're totally helpless and without a clue. Well, the fall certainly was a deal, no doubt about it. I mean, it's a story where the authors are trying to answer the big question. It's like, why are we so messed up and why are we like this and so there's this story this narrative about that the very image of god that we were created that that is within us that is our deepest our truest self is that image of god so let's just use some metaphorical language did the fall of humanity damage that i'm just gonna say yes did it destroy it i'm gonna say no and for a bunch of reasons, because I think we still have the freedom of choice. I still think that what God created within us is stronger than anything we could do to it. I don't have the power to completely destroy the image that God put within me. I just don't believe that's true. So moving from there as my starting point then, the growth, development, the inner longing and seeking to connect to the, to the creator of that divine image is a lifelong gift. Now, there have been times in my life where I didn't want to pay attention to that gift. I didn't want to listen to that voice, but it kept prodding me on. And what I see in this book, in the scriptures, and is that developing story here is how things progress in the history of israel could we just say that there's a roller coaster ride of faithfulness and stumbling right and so those stories are interpreted in in such light all the way down to the to when god is trying to tell israel look you came from me <laughs> your life is to reflect me to the whole world and when it's over you will come back to me we come from god we reflect god we return to god right 
And Israel over and over again is saying, no, this is just ours. No, this is just for us. No, I hate those guys over there. Let's kill them and say, God told us to do it. And all this stuff, right? Until Jesus is born. And I was just reading N.T. Wright this morning. And N.T. Wright makes this case that Jesus is like the new Israel. And what God wanted to do through Israel, God's going to do through Jesus. So there is a progression here. The story will not be stopped. Just like the image of God that's placed in us is not going to go away. You can't keep God down. This story of I love you, I want you to know it, I want to lavish you in my love is just going to continue. The great story of Pentecost, I mean, after Jesus suffers this awful death and God raises him from the dead, and we have the great gift of of Pentecost, whether it's from John's gospel where Jesus is breathing into them or it's from the Acts of the Apostles or the tongues of fire. Isn't that interesting, fire? You know, in 600 BC, Heraclitus said that the essence of the universe is fire. And he lived in Ephesus, and I think John's gospel was written in Ephesus. I'm, I know I'm going down a rabbit trail. And in the prologue to John's gospel, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Logos was Heraclitus' word. And he said that the Logos, the power, the creative juice of the universe is fire. Because everything fire touches, it transforms it. It changes it. It doesn't keep it static. It's not the same. Fire is this uncontrollable thing that brings about change after change after change. So it's not a mystery to me that for ancient people who are embellished into this stuff, they think of the Holy Spirit's falling as fire. Help me to be a fiery spiritual person that will bring about the change of love that was given to the people at Genesis. And all the way through the prophets unto Jesus until today, it's one wonderful, long-lasting story. And it doesn't hold still for anyone. I really appreciate that perspective of Scripture, the Bible, our faith not holding still. I feel like I was taught a way of understanding the Bible where it did stand still, where you look to that verse and that tells you what is forever and always. But the reality is our faith is always moving forward. And so the Bible needs to be a tool that allows us to move forward as our faith progresses. As I mentioned, Father Scott is the founder and director of Celtic Way, which is an approach to faith that has ancient roots, and that's what I love about it. And a big part of the way he moves forward in his faith is through contemplative prayer, and that's also a huge part of the way that he approaches the scriptures. This is similar as well to last week's guest, Ellen Heratunian, who also discussed the importance of contemplative prayer in reading the scriptures. In our culture, this is really challenging because we live in a society that moves so fast. That is why this idea is so very important to our understanding and our having a healthy relationship with the Bible. We had to take a contemplative class that was required in graduate school. 
And I moaned and groaned and complained about this because I thought sitting still and being quiet is the biggest effing waste of time and money in my whole graduate school career. Now, flash forward to like three years ago, two years ago, I get a scholarship to go to Richard Rohr's living school in Albuquerque. I thought to myself, well, I better go because I want to know what everybody else is learning so I can chaplain them better. I really don't have any interest in this crap, sitting still and being quiet, but I'll go. So I go. There's like 500 people there from all over the world, by the way. And we're split up into small groups. And they require at least 10 minutes of contemplative silence every morning. But in the setting, we had a half an hour of it every morning. <laughs> freaking half an hour dude for every day of the week i was like but i did it because i had to i got a scholarship i assigned the paper i'll do this so i'd go home and I'd, i would do this and honest to god for weeks for weeks i would be like i did my 10 minutes that's how i felt i did my 10 minutes son of a beehive you know and um and then i really started practicing lexio divina you know, reading the scriptures in a contemplative way. And one day, one day I just kind of ended my contemplative experience and I was, I was reading an Alexio passage and I had the sweetest, most intimate encounter with God. And I journaled and um, I have been doing that every day ever since. Because a few days later, I woke up in the morning and I could not wait to sit in silence, which was now, get a load of this, 15 minutes. Cynthia Bourgeau, who uh, is an Episcopal theologian, made a big impression on me about the impact on the, the neurosystems of the brain. She was talking about how the contemplative experience created new neuro pathways and it really opens us up to god well opens us up to god is really what i want so i'm i'm on board and i told you i do the same walk every day but i don't do it in the same interior place anymore as a celtic person who really believes god's creative energy and presence is in nature i started noticing things that i had never seen before the bird songs the delicacy and the lifespan of flowers, the incredible number of dragonflies, which for Celtic people are symbolic of there's great change coming. Just looking at life and doing these walks in a contemplative way is just heart opening. It's such a gift. In a contemplative reading of the Bible, a lot of my defenses are down. And like Karl Barth used to say, the scriptures need to become for us a word of personal address. And I think that's what happens to me in contemplative reading. I put a lot of my egotistical self out of the way, or God does, and I, I open up the doors in the center of my soul and try to receive what God has for me there. In Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. Well, in the Hebrew, that's not a soft invitation. It's a command. 
There's a way of reading the Bible that both Helen Heratunian and Father Scott have mentioned is a part of their normal practice, and it's called Lexio Divina. And I really want you to be able to hear what that means because it may be a great stepping stone. It may be a great way to just engage with the Bible in a brand new way. Lexio simply means reading, the reading, the, the lectionary. The Divina, of course, means divine, so divine reading. And the Bible for me is the divine text. The first process is Lexio, and I follow the daily lectionary that's prescribed by United Methodists, Catholics, Episcopalians, I just look up the gospel reading for today, and I choose that. And then I read it, and I have a little quiet, like maybe 30 seconds. I read it again, a little quiet, and then I read it again. Somewhere in those three readings, I look for what shimmers, what calls my attention, a word or phrase. And then I simply write that down. And then the next step, um, so that's the reading part, and then the next step is reflecting. And I reflect on it. So I ask all sorts of questions about what does it mean, right? So I dig into the text, I engage it, I have a dialogue with it. If I need to look up a word study, if I need to look up any academic helps, that's at the end. I do it, but I don't do it at the front end. I just try to personally wrestle with it. Then if I'm really stumped, word studies, maybe a commentary, not a bunch of commentaries, maybe just something to help me anchor it. And when I'm done reflecting on it, then I respond. I take what I have been given through this Lexio experience of the scriptures, and I respond in prayer. And after I'm done responding in prayer, then I rest. I simply get into that place. And what I do at the end of responding is I give thanks, not just for what I've learned, but for a lot of things. My oldest biological daughter has fourth stage lung cancer. So that prayer is always with me. And I give thanks for her and her life and the love that we share. And I pray for her healing and for her to have as good a life as possible if the healing doesn't come. And then I let go of all of that. And I mentioned her because that's the hardest one to let go of completely, just to empty my cup and sit in silence and rest. So Lexio is reading, reflecting, responding, and rest. Now we can talk on and on about the Bible and people have for years and years and years. We end up talking about it in circles and it ends up being completely irrelevant because we don't always talk about it in a way that's relevant for today. So if the Bible is going to be meaningful for any of our lives, it has to matter today. It has to matter in our real situations in our world right now in 2020. There were some pastors in a town in Colorado, and they invited me to have a little talk with them. And their idea was to get these white pastors and black pastors together. We're going to have a conversation and um, we'll, we'll make a statement or something that we can present to our communities. And, you know, I just have to be the horse's ass once in a while and just say to white people, maybe the problem is we always think we have to be part of that. 
And until we can just sit and lament and say, you know what, we may have already been part of this. We were the cause of this. And maybe our role today is to shut up, to be still, and let other ethnic groups now speak. And we just need to learn how to listen in our lamentation and in our turning and in our repentance. So all these things are scriptural and very, very relevant today. In the letter of Paul to the Galatians, he says something in there that's profound. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Oh, well, there's neither rich nor poor. Now that's something. There's neither male nor female, right? There's neither slave nor free. I'm glad that Paul wrote that and took that up and saw that this is part of the Christian message because it's part of nature's message. It's part of the world's message. Is there another message in the United States that's needed to be uh, not just heard, but lived? It's an interesting word, isn't it, in the Greek text? To hear is to obey. When I was six, my grandma would bake chocolate chip cookies and put them out on a linoleum kitchen table on wax paper, and she'd have to go take clothes off the line, and she would say to me, don't eat those cookies, they're too hot. And I'd say, yeah, yeah, okay. And she'd say, do you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And so she would leave, and I would take a cookie and eat it and burn my tongue and rearrange them on the wax paper so when she came back, she wouldn't know I took one. And she'd look at my lip that was a little red, and she said, you didn't hear me, did you? Yeah, I didn't obey. The message is old, but it's always in need of hearing. Is it possible that by looking at the Bible through an ancient lens, that it can suddenly become relevant for today? Special thanks to Father Scott Jenkins. You can find out more about what he's up to at CelticWay.org. Of course, you can help out this podcast by subscribing, giving us a five-star rating, and writing a review. Next week, we finish up our discussion about the Bible by really taking a look at these last four weeks and trying to see what is it that we've learned. What is it that we can take from these conversations, put into our own lives, and help us as we move forward in our faith. Thanks, everybody, for listening. It's always a pleasure and a joy. And until next time, keep walking.